Dracula. I am Dracula. And I bid you welcome, Mr. Hart, to my heart. Come Our first award goes to the vampires for most blood drained in a single evening. The strength of the vampire is that people will not believe in him. Fellow vampire lovers, the sun is going down, and you know what that means. It's time for me to record another episode of my podcast, The Beautiful Dead. As always, I'm your host, Lena Nazari. You can find me at lenanazari.com. Links to social media, my appearances, join my fanged family, join my street team, all that good stuff. <clears throat> Speaking of social media, If you're not following me on Instagram, you need to go do that because that's where I post um, everything that I'm doing and um, what's going on. And that's the quickest way probably to message me too. I haven't been going on other social media as often, um, but I am on Instagram a lot. So go check that out. And I haven't said this in a while, but go check out the Spotify playlist that I made for the Eternal Night Shift series. Um, people are always adding music and I just love that. I just love that. So if you've read the books and you're inspired, um, to add a certain song for the day when it becomes a TV show, then, uh, please go check out that playlist. So we're still toying around with the lighting and sound in this new podcast lair, the vamp lair. Um, we're going to do a little less lighting this time. So far, I'm digging this. As much as I want you to see the beautiful art behind me and everything, uh, this is going to be a little bit easier on the eyes to not have so much light. So we'll try it this week. I don't know. Maybe I'll change it next week. Who knows? The layer is new, so I'm still working on the layer and how I want it to be. All right, everybody, we are going to jump right in. Tonight's Vampire Tea, in honor of the, um, the titular character in our story, is Bella Lugosi's ashes. So this is actually a black tea. And then it has coconut and cinnamon and apple. This I think might have been the first tea I ever tried from Vampire Tea Company. Um, so yeah, I, I'm a big fan of this one. And sometimes it's sitting in the back and I forget about it and I'm like, oh, and I pull it forward. So that's one of those days. And I'm using my Virginia mug here. For people who don't know, I was I was actually born and raised in Virginia. So this is just a shout out to my home state. <clears throat> All right, we're doing it. I know I made you guys wait. I promised two weeks ago and then I then I changed my story and did something else. So now we're gonna do it. And I'm so, so, so excited. And I want you guys to know, I I just I wanted to go back. I wanted to to go into the nostalgia. So I actually rewatched this on DVD, on my DVD, and like took myself back to the 90s the first time I ever saw it. So we went on a little uh, little nostalgia road trip thanks to this movie. And of course, we are talking about Bram Stoker's Dracula. For anybody who has never listened to the podcast or seen this channel, 
massive spoiler alert. I'm going to ruin everything. Now, as we're speaking, it's about to be 2024. So if you have not seen Bram Stoker's Dracula and you're a fan of vampires, I don't know where you've been or what you're doing. Not trying to shame you, but also like you should have already seen this by now is all I'm saying. Let's jump in. We're going to do a summary. <clears throat> this is a juicy summary. Like it's pretty solid. So bear with me. But for those of you who maybe haven't seen it in a while or have never seen it, let's do the summary. In 1462, Vlad Dracula returns from a victory in his campaign against the Ottoman Empire to find his beloved wife, Elisabetta, has committed suicide after his enemies falsely reported his death. A priest of the Romanian Orthodox Church tells him that his wife's soul is damned to hell for committing unaliving. Enraged, Vlad desecrates the chapel and renounces the Christian God, declaring he will rise from the grave to avenge Elisabetta with all the powers of darkness. He drives his sword into the chapel's stone cross and drinks the blood that pours from it, becoming a vampire. <clears throat> in 1897, solicitor Jonathan Harker takes the Transylvanian Count Dracula as a client from his colleague R.M. Renfield, who has gone insane, is now an inmate in Jack Seward's, sorry, Dr. Jack Seward's, give him that doctor, he earned it, asylum. Jonathan travels to Dracula's castle in Transylvania to arrange Dracula's real estate acquisitions in London. Jonathan meets Dracula who finds a picture of his fiancée, Mina Murray, and believes she is a reincarnation of Elisabetta. Dracula leaves Jonathan to be fed upon by his brides while he sails to England with Transylvanian soil, taking up residence at Carfax Abbey. In London, Dracula hypnotically seduces and bites Mina's friend, Lucy, with whom Mina is staying while Jonathan is in Transylvania. Lucy's deteriorating health and behavioral changes prompt former suitors Quincy Morris and Dr. Seward, along with her fiancé Arthur Holmwood, to summon Dracula, appearing young and handsome during the daytime, meets and charms Mina. Mina develops feelings for Dracula, accompanying him on several outings. When Mina receives word from Jonathan, who has escaped the castle and is recovering at a convent, she travels to Romania to marry him. A heartbroken Dracula transforms Lucy into a vampire. Van Helsing, Holmwood, Seward, Morris kill the undead Lucy the following night. <clears throat> After he and Mina return to London, Jonathan and Van Helsing lead the others to Carfax Abbey, where they destroy the Count's boxes of soil. Dracula enters the asylum and kills Renfield for warning Mina of his presence. He visits Mina, who is staying in the Seward's quarters, and confesses that he murdered Lucy and has been terrorizing Mina's friends. Though furious at first, she doesn't stay mad for very long, everybody. Mina admits that she still loves him and remembers Elisabetta's previous life. At her insistence, Dracula begins transforming her into a vampire. The hunters burst into the bedroom and Dracula claims Mina as his bride before escaping. As Mina changes, Van Helsing hypnotizes her and learns via her connection to Dracula that he is sailing home in his last remaining box. The hunters depart for Varna to in intercept him, but Dracula reads Mina's mind and evades them. The hunters split up. Van Helsing and Mina travel to the Borgo Pass and the castle while the others try to stop the Romani who are transporting Dracula. 
At night, Van Helsing and Mina are approached by Dracula's brides. Mina succumbs to their chanting and attempts to seduce Van Helsing. Before Mina can feed on his blood, Van Helsing places a communion wafer on her forehead, leaving a mark that slows her transformation. He surrounds them with a ring of fire to protect them from the brides and then kills the brides the following morning. Dracula's carriage arrives at the castle, pursued by the hunters. A fight between the hunters and the Romany ensues. Morris is fatally stabbed in the back and Dracula bursts from his coffin at sunset. It's not a coffin, it's a crate. Um, <clears throat> Jonathan slits his throat with a Kirkry knife. I don't know why that matters. <laughs> while Morris stabs him in the heart. Van Helsing and Jonathan allow Mina to retreat with the Count into the castle. In the chapel where he renounced God, Dracula lies dying. He and Mina share a kiss as the candles adorning the chapel light up and the cross repairs itself. Dracula reverts to his younger self and asks Mina to give him peace. Mina thrusts the knife through his heart as he dies. The mark on her forehead disappears. She decapitates him and gazes up at the fresco of Vlad and Elisabetta ascending to heaven together, finally reunited. Aww. All right, that's Bram Stoker's Dracula, if you've never seen it, or read the book, or know anything about Dracula. All right, let's do it. This one has been on my list since day one. I don't know why I waited so long. I don't know. It just seemed like such a special thing, you know, and I just kept waiting and waiting and waiting. Well, it's time to pop that cork and let's do it. Vampiric references and crossovers. I mean, the whole movie is a reference, right? Richard E. Grant plays Dr. Seward in this and is in the movie Little Vampire, if you guys remember that one. Wow, that's a throwback. Interesting trivia. It won three Oscars. Um, and it's not often that vampire movies get nominated, let alone win. So I'm thinking of this one, Shadow of the Vampire. I don't know. Interview might have been uh, nominated for like costumes or something, but it's it doesn't happen very often. Horror really gets overlooked. The producer and director, Francis Ford Coppola, explains on the DVD commentary that Mina and Harker's wedding was a reshoot that was done at the Los Angeles Greek Orthodox Church. They filmed the entire ceremony with a genuine Romanian Orthodox minister and realized afterwards that Winona Ryder and Keanu Reeves may have actually been married to each other, not in a legal sense, but in the eyes of God, as Ryder claims. I thought that was very interesting. And I guess sometimes she'll still text Keanu and be like, hey, husband. <laughs> um, and then interesting, I thought this was very interesting. God, I wish I was a fly on the wall for this one. At the first cast meeting called by the producer and director, he got all of the principal actors and actresses to read the entire Bram Stoker's novel out loud to get a feel for the story. And according to Sir Anthony Hopkins, it took two whole days to do it. But how freaking cool is that, right? Maybe that's why this is one of the ones that feels so much like the book. It's definitely not exactly the same, but it has that same feel. All right. Let's talk about the vampires. So much pressure. All right. Let's have a sip of my Bella Lugosi's ashes. All right. Relationship to humans. So the vampires walk amongst the humans. They feed off of the humans. They can also make human servants, which is what Renfield appears to be. Um, Renfield, I think, is the OG human servant. So good for you, Renfield. There's, there's a whole clinical syndrome named after him. 
Um, there are humans who know of vampires, like the Romani people, and then obviously the people of London are walking around like, vampires aren't real. So, you know, that's how it works with the humans. Relationship to animals. Ooh, it's Dracula, right? So one of the things you know about Dracula is that he can control animals, specifically bats, wolves, blah, blah, blah. The cool animals. When Dracula's coming to London, we see it upset the whole London Zoo. So the implication there is that all of these animals can feel his presence. So either it's Dracula or it's the storm that he's conjuring um, or both. But we do see like a sh couple shots of like all the animals at the London Zoo, especially the wolves being very upset. Uh, when he's offering to turn Mina, he says to them, you will have power over the beasts of the earth. So to me, that means he can control any animal. But the only ones I know for sure with him are like bats, and rats, uh, wolves, that kind of stuff. You know, the cool animals. All right. Um, appearance. So the vampires originally look human until they let their vampire aspects show. So we're pretty used to that, right? Um, fangs, Dracula's eyes turn red. Dracula starts as an old man. And then after he feeds on the entire ship, the Demeter, uh, he's this young, hot dude with like a fancy hat and a cane and stuff. We all know how Gary Oldman looks when he's young. The brides are gorgeous. The implication, of course, is that they live forever and young as long as they feed. And we know that they are cold because Mina reacts to, to how cold his flesh is. Now, it's possible the more he feeds, the warmer he becomes, but that's, that's never said. Fangs. It's Dracula. Dracula, like... He is the, he's the mold for vampires. So two long retractable canines. And there's a very cool scene where he looks up, the canines come down and he lunges. Very cool. Blood. Again, classic vampires. It's an all blood diet. And I can't even fathom the amount of blood that was used on this film because there is a lot of it. Food. The vampires do have an aversion to garlic in this movie. That's an old one. And we also know that they don't drink wine. See what I did there? All right. Sunlight. So Dracula can be in the sun, but his not it's not his natural time. So his powers are dwindled. He's not as strong in the sun. And a lot of people... Uh, don't remember that about Dracula, that if you go back and read the book, he can be in the daylight. It's not until Nosferatu came out, I think in 1920s, uh, that the idea of sunlight killing vampires was introduced. <clears throat> yes, I am a nerd. But that's why you guys come to this podcast, right? Because I'm a vampire nerd. I like to use word expert. All right. Um, sleep. So we know that he has to sleep on the soil of his homeland. Also a very old vampire characteristic. Um, we see the brides just sleeping on these concrete slabs that are sort of done like a stair. Um, <clears throat> so if they're in Romania or Transylvania, then they can sleep wherever they want. But if they're going to travel, they have to take the soil of their homeland with them. And we see that in Dracula. We saw it also in uh, What We Do in the Shadows. So old one. Uh, holy items. So these vampires do have an aversion to holy items. So we know that the communion wafer burns Mina. We know that they have an aversion to the cross. This stems all the way back to Dracula's original rebellion 
a defiance against the Christian God, stabbing the cross. Now, here's what I did notice going back. And we'll talk about this more in my thoughts. But what I noticed going back was Lucy, who was a brand new vampire, just raised that night. She gets to be a vampire for like, I don't know, a couple hours. She very strongly reacts to the cross. The brides, they also strongly react to the cross. Maybe not as strong. Dracula reacts, but not as strong. So to me, that means the older you get as a vampire, the less that the cross really does to you. And at one point in time, Helsing's holding up the cross. Dracula stamps the ground. The cross lights on fire. He throws it. So I think the older you get as a vampire in this world, the less the cross really affects you. Uh, rules. They cannot be seen in mirrors. Uh, we talked about the soil thing, having to sleep on the soil of their whole land, homeland. Clearly, there is no rule about children because not only is Lucy, like, ready to feed off a toddler, but Dracula gifts a baby to the brides to eat. So, obviously, no rules against kids. Kids are not off limits in this world. All right. Powers. So, if you read the trivia for this movie... Francis Ford Coppola loved the idea that when the vampires are around, the laws of physics no longer apply. That's why you see the drops falling up. That's why you see him crawling down the side of the castle. Um, that's why his shadow moves independently from him. Because when the vampires are around, the laws of physics go out the window for them. Um, they can mimic the voices of others. Dracula shifts into this wolf humanoid form and then like a bat humanoid form, full wolf when he goes after Lucy the last time, um, a group, uh, I don't know what you would call it, a pack of rats, a group of rats. Somebody let me know what you call a bunch of rats. Uh, and then also mist. So he can shapeshift quite skillfully. Um, also, they can appear to go invisible because when the brides are coming after Jonathan, we see the foot steps on the uh, carpet, but we don't see them. And there's also a time where it looks like Dracula might also be invisible. We see a bride melt a silver cross with her mind, just a little silver cross, but she kind of goes like this and it melts. Dracula can control the weather. Uh, we also see Mina able to do, do this at the end. We see him fly into a room and sort of hover and levitate. At one point, we see Dracula's eyes in the sky of London as it storms. So the implication to me is that he can far see. So that's interesting. He's able to lure Lucy out into the garden and she seems to be in like a trance. So apparently he can mind control you as well. Um, he also tells Mina, don't see me. And she doesn't. So mind control. When Lucy enters the crypt, all the candles light up. So apparently they can do that with their minds. Or again, the laws of physics don't apply here. Really awesome powers in this movie. Like, these are the kind of vamps I like. I want them to have powers and all that cool stuff. How are they made? So Lucy is fed off over a series of nights <clears throat> until she's completely drained. We also know that he shares his blood because that first night in the garden, um, she says, I still have the taste of his blood on my mouth. So that lets us know that there has to be some sort of trans transference. So she has gotten his blood into her the first night. Then he slowly drains her and then he kills her. 
pretty classic. She rises the night after her death uh, as a vampire. The first day after her first interaction with Dracula, she starts to have heightened hearing. She has some issues breathing. Her thinking is altered. So obviously the turning has already begun, but it apparently it takes a little time to transform completely. Uh, after the second one, we begin to see the fangs, and then Mina drinks Dracula's blood after he drinks from her. He stops her and says, I can't do this. I love you too much. Um, they're kind of interrupted, so the process isn't fully complete. I think oh, the implication is she would have to die that night. So maybe he drains, he drinks from you, you drink from him, and then you have to die to fully transform. That doesn't happen. But a kind of turning does begin. Um, and she's like mentally connected to him at that point. And then of course he's created because of this massive defiance against God. He, um, like, I don't, so this, this is a classic retelling of Dracula's origin, which is he makes a pact with the devil or he defies God to enough of a point that he is transformed into a vampire. So it's like self-actualizing basically. Heartbeat or breathing. We know Dracula's heart doesn't beat because he lays Mina's hand over his chest and says there is no life in this body. How do they die? So Lucy is staked, beheaded, and burned. All three brides are beheaded and their heads are thrown into a ravine. Dracula has his throat slit and is partially stabbed in the heart. Mina completes his death by loving him enough to push the sword all the way through the light of the cross shines onto him. She beheads him and then she transforms back into human. So that's why I think either um, the death of your maker or the fact that she did not die and fully transform, she's able to turn back. That's what we're going with. It's my podcast. It's my opinion. I'm the expert. Moving on. Good or bad. So clearly the vampires are the bad guys of the story. The brides and Lucy don't really show any kind of redeeming qualities. That being said, Dracula can love. He shows that he loves Mina enough to not hurt her or ultimately turn her. So does that mean that vampires can choose or only Dracula because he's the master? I don't know. So... Obviously, there's a whole generation of women who fell in love with Dracula thanks to this movie. That being said, the implication is that Mina is his one and only love. So he's only going to show kindness and love to her. For everybody else, it's he doesn't care. He does not care about you. Sorry. Hate to break it to you. Tropes I love and tropes I hate. I want to start with the tropes that I hate. So we've talked about this. This is so hard for me, by the way. I hate when I have to break down a movie that is special to me because I don't want to be that person. But also we've like kind of got, we got this ball rolling. The train is not stopping and I can't just not review certain movies because I don't want to say anything. But I think you guys are going to know what I'm saying. I really hate the saved by love saved by faith trope. I will take saved by love, maybe, if it's not super cheesy, but I hate saved by faith. I hate that one. We see it in Dracula 2000. We see it in, you know, um, uh, why am I blanking on the name? Salem's Lot. 
and um, Fright Night, where like the person's holding the cross and Dracula laughs or the vampire laughs, and then they conjure their faith in the Lord and then they hold up the cross and now it works. Hate that. Hate it. Hate it. Hate it. Anywho. And this one's like kind of a weird mix of love and forgiveness from God and faith. It's like a, it's like, I don't know. The ending is very like, it has to be a very specific mix of events and feelings for Dracula to die. I'll just say that. Very specific. Tropes I love. I know this is so cheesy and I just said how I hate Saved by Loved, but... <coughs> I do love a reincarnated soulmate story. I love the idea of finding your soulmate, finding your soulmate again. You know, I love the idea of like this vampire has been alone for centuries, but then he finds you and you're the one that he falls for. I shouldn't say he or she. I just love the idea of like this vampire has been cutting a swath through the countryside, leaving bodies behind, cares for nothing, is dead inside, and then the, the perfect person comes into his world because the universe brought them together and now they're, they're reunited or they've found each other. So cheesy, but I love it. <laughs> All right. Ratings. Okay. You want to talk about pressure. Time to rate one of the movies that made me the podcast host that you hear today. So this is going to be tough, but I have to take this seriously because, okay. How scary or evil are the vampires of Bram Stoker's Dracula? The brides are nothing to scoff at. Let me tell you, if I could go back and be a bride, a Dracula's bride, oh man. If anyone's ever making a Dracula movie, I know I razz on them because there's so many, but if you're making a Dracula movie and you could make me a bride, oh my God, that would be amazing. Anywho, we don't see a whole lot of anybody but Dracula. So that's really who we're going to look at here, okay? I don't want to downplay the brides by any means. And poor Lucy it gets to be a vampire for like six hours. So we're going to leave her out of it. And Mina never fully becomes a vampire. So she's out of it. So we're just going to look at old Drac. All right. He can be invisible. He can be missed. He can be animals. He can fly. He can control your mind. He can speak to you from far away into your brain. He can see you over a distance. He killed Renfield when he was in mist form. Mist. He is not bound by the sun. He doesn't like the cross, but it doesn't necessarily stop him. This Dracula will absolutely rip your throat out and steal your girl before you knew what even happened, before you, you even could process what's happening. Um, it seems like Mina is the only one in the world that he cares for. He, he definitely has a weakness and she is it. So that does hurt his scare score. But all in all, Gary Oldman's Dracula gets an 8 out of 10 for scariness and evil. And that is very, very strong. Very strong. How sexy or alluring is the vampires, are the vampires of Bram Stoker's Dracula. So anyone who has seen the scene with the brides and Jonathan knows that they clearly have a strong allure to them. Very sexy. We see that Mina is inexplicably drawn to Dracula. Now that might be because they're soulmates, not because of his power, but 
we do know that they have sex because we see Lucy and Dracula, who, by the way, is in Wolfman form, going at it in the garden. And I'm pretty sure that Dracula and Mina would have gone for it if they hadn't been interrupted. Anyone who's seen that scene knows that it was working its way to that point. They were already half clothed. They were licking blood off each other. Like, it was going to happen. There was candles. Come on. Um, Mina taps into a little bit of the bride's sex appeal and seduces Van Helsing, and it's almost his downfall. So normally a high scare score means a low sexiness score, but not in this world. In this world, they are sexy and scary. So we go back to what, what we always do, which is, are they more scary or sexy? I'm going to say they're a little scarier than sexy. So seven out of 10 onks for sexiness and allure. I mean, I crossed oceans of time to find you. Oh my God, Dracula. Like that, that would be it for me. I, you got me. That's it. You got me. Let's do this. Whew. All right. My thoughts. Okay. My thoughts. I saw this movie when I was 12 years old. Like when it came out, I saw it. It changed my life, changed my life. I had the poster, I had the soundtrack, I had the figurines. I knew every syllable of this movie. I was in love with the whole cast and I even started teaching myself Romanian because of this movie. This is where my, my desire to go see Romania started. Um, and then it just grew over the decades. This movie, I remember being like 13 years old. And if a, if a storm was coming, you know, the way that the air gets right before a storm hits, I would be outside in the woods pretending to be Mina, um, you know, chanting into the air, calling the storm. I'm telling you this movie, like it affected me. 30 years later, I put the DVD in the DVD player to watch it for this, and I could still recite the entire movie. I can't believe the way it is seared into my brain. This is the downside to the podcast, is that sometimes I have to go back to some of the vampire movies and TV shows that I loved in middle school, high school, young adulthood, and I have to... Um, look at it with fresh eyes. You know, I'm no longer a lovesick teenager. I'm now this serious, respected vampire expert and podcast host who has to like, I have to look at it with fresh eyes. I have to look at it critically and I have to really break it down. Now, I want to be clear that when I break these worlds down, I am not criticizing, okay? I am just breaking down the worlds. I love that the vampire genre allows you to be creative. You get to create whatever vampire you want to. And that's what I love about it. We are merely just looking at these universes, talking about them, breaking them down. And I'm just giving my thoughts and opinions. That's all. But it does, it is tough because you can go look at it now and you can see inconsistencies. You can see the cheesiness of it. Like I think of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I still adore it because of the nostalgia and what it did for my life. That being said, I can go back and say, wow, this was pretty cheesy. I mean, it is what it is. So that's the downside. So I did look at this movie on rewatch with more of a critical eye. 
That being said, I'm thrilled that this is complete. I can take my critic's hat off and now I can just again enjoy this movie every six months or so as something that changed my life, uh, impacted my writing, impacted um, me. So I get to now just get to enjoy it again. And I, I certainly hope that everybody's with me on this and knows that I'm not trying to be mean when I break down these movies. Here's the thing. This movie, Interview with the Vampire, the Buffy the Vampire TV show, um, True Blood, uh, the Anita Blake series, Vampire Diaries, all of these things shaped me and influenced me and made me the person I am today and the writer I am today. So I love them. I will always love them. I will always have a special place in my heart for these. You know, if you look up here in the vampire lair, you'll see a bunch of DVDs and a lot of them are these classics that I go back to over and over and over again. Blade is another one. Underworld. Like these are the movies that shaped me and are in my rotation and my rewatch. So I will always love them. Um, I will not settle until somebody tells me that he has crossed oceans of time for me. Short of that, um, all right, next week we are going to have a very interesting episode. It will be the end of season three, and then I will be taking a break. Of course, I'll be doing Fan Expo January um, in New Orleans, and then I will be taking a break from traveling because I have a fourth book to write and I need to get it done. Uh, um, I haven't decided yet exactly when the podcast will come back. I will update you guys on social media. Uh, join my fanged family because they get to hear everything first. Um, what I know is I have to write this fourth book. So next week we will be ending the season with um psychic vampires we'll be talking all about psychic vampires and then i will have a special guest on wes fisher who's a screenwriter and he has written a screenplay about psychic vampires um, and ties with ancient egypt and and things like that so please come back and listen to that it's so interesting i'm so excited about it then we will say adios to season three happy holidays to everybody um, in the meantime, I, of course, love you guys so much. Thank you so much for coming back every week. If you've just found me, thank you for joining me. And uh, I would love to hear your thoughts on the vampire lair, on uh, my comments about Bram Stoker's Dracula. If you hate me now, I'm sorry. Uh, hopefully I will, I will win you back in the future. But I wish you wicked hugs and bloody kisses. Good evening.